Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Moving to Live is back with another episode. As you heard in the intro, we are providing concise but interesting content for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados. We differ a little bit from other podcasts that are out there and that we try not to get into silo. We try to get information from individuals in different walks of movement, from physicians to people who are teaching in academia. Our guest today is an elite runner and also an endurance coach, specifically with runners. It's also interesting with our podcast guest today is not only is she a second generation elite runner, but she is a second generation coach. So I'm sure we could talk for hours about the difference between nature and nurturing. We're fortunate enough to have with us as a guest, Neely Spence Gracie, who is an endurance runner an endurance coach, a soon-to-be mother, which she told me about yesterday. So congratulations on that. So her next endurance Thank race you. will be uh, waiting to give birth. And she's also, for those of you who are longtime endurance athletes, the daughter of Steve Spence, who made resistance training popular in elite athletes way back in the late 80s and early 90s. So Neely, thanks for taking time to talk to Moving to Live. Awesome. I'm so excited to chat with you. I think one of the things that I mentioned just a few moments ago is we try not to get in a silo where we talk from people of just one realm. And I think the idea of or the story of how we got in touch with you is kind of interesting. We interviewed for a podcast a few months ago, Samantha Wood, who is a physical therapist in Colorado Springs and also an ultra endurance athlete. She does 100 mile trail runs and some of the crazy adventure races. She hooked us up with a gentleman named Dr. Josh Emder, who is involved with SteadyMD, which is a direct access physician service that takes makes use of technology. And when I was talking to Dr. Emder, he says, oh, do you, knew, do you know uh, Neely Gracie? And I said, no. And he said, she would be a great interview for you. So here we are. <laughs> Somebody maybe- Yeah, I love this small world. 
And what makes it even more interesting is the fact that somebody who's mentioned on your coaching uh, webpage, Doug Lentz, is somebody that I know professionally from my involvement with the National Strength and Conditioning Association. So it's an incredibly yeah. Doug was a huge part of my um, my training, and he's really helped me throughout the years. So that's really neat, and I I love that you know Doug too. So we like to talk, take the first part of our interviews with Moving to Live, and we like to talk to the person that we're interviewing and find out their story. So I know you're going to have kind of a two-part story on how you got to the coaching aspect and how you became an elite runner. But tell us a little bit, you know. When you were younger, when you were first growing up, when did you start running? Were you one of those athletes who did a variety of things and just kind of gravitated towards running, maybe because your dad was a running coach, or how did that work out? So I was literally born into this sport. As you mentioned, my dad's a professional runner. Um, so the day I was born, uh, he was actually running the Boston Marathon, and fast forward, you know, a few years and it just seemed like that was naturally what I was going to do as well. That running was just something that was a part of my everyday life. And honestly, I didn't really know any different, right? Like both my parents were very good runners. Um, and I got left the home, left at home and left behind if I wasn't able to keep up on a bike. Um, so it was just such a part of my every day that I knew that it was just naturally something that I wanted to do. But I did do some other things. Um, I remember, I think like every kid, you know, you try soccer and I did soccer and I just hated the rules. I liked the running part, but I didn't understand <laughs> like why we were running in different directions. And um, I, I remember, I think I only played like one game because it just, I, I couldn't figure out like the whole sport, but I really enjoyed the running component. And then fast forward um, to eighth grade, I had done a lot of, you know, horseback riding, uh, community theater, that sort of thing. I was really into singing, but um, I knew that running was just always there. And in eighth grade, I watched the Foot Locker National Championships on TV. And I looked at my dad and was like, I want to go. He's like, well, those are like the best of the best. And I was like, okay. And, and he was like, well, you should start training. Like, okay, sounds good. And so I took myself from being a 29-minute 5K runner to running 17.42 um, within a year. And it was just a little work went a long way and I became super motivated. And while I didn't qualify for Foot Locker um, as a freshman or a sophomore, I qualified as both a senior and or a junior and senior and made that happen for myself. So that was really the start of me setting my own goals and finding running for myself. I know one of the things that you often see in youth sports today is there's a big emphasis on people specializing in one sport. And a lot of times it turns out to parents live vicariously through their kids and push their kids. I know if you go to a, a youth soccer game or some of the track meets, it's like you can really pick out the parents who need to get a life. How much of your, after looking at the uh, Foot Locker on television and telling your dad you wanted to go, how much of the 
push or desire to train was you and how much of it was your parents saying, hey, you know, you said you wanted to go to Foot Locker, so you better get out the door and run. Yeah, I was so motivated. It was just like a switch flipped. And from that moment on, it was like, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And to be honest, I think my parents were conservative. They held me back. Um, I wanted to do more. I wanted to dedicate my whole life to this. And they tried to help me have that balance. So um, it was it was very much once I made the decision, everything was coming from me. And I'm not saying I loved every single day, but I was the one that went out and did my run every single day. And I set up my lifestyle um, so that I could achieve these goals. I know also from listening to a podcast you did with uh, somebody else, I learned that you were homeschooled. And typically when you hear about people who are homeschooling, it's either because people live way out in the country where it's not convenient for them to go to a school or the parents decide they don't want the school. And from hearing your story in that other podcast about why your mom made the decision for family life, if you could talk about that, because I know so much with youth sports and athletics, the parents end up running around and there's no family time because they're transporting one kid to soccer, another kid to track practice and a third kid to swimming. And they never spend any time together because they're running around. Talk a little bit about how your mom and your dad said, you know, we think we want to do some homeschooling and here's why. Absolutely. So the thing with uh, the transition to homeschooling is that I went to a private Montessori school from preschool until second grade and well, through second grade. And so during that time, I loved school. I really enjoyed um, that environment and at, as I was finishing second grade, my sisters would have been starting at school because they're three and a half years younger than I am. And my mom was starting to realize, you know, if we're sending three kids to uh, a private Montessori school, I'm going to need to go to work to pay for the kids' tuition so that they can go to this private school. And so she was a teacher herself and decided, you know what? this would make so much more sense if I teach my own kids and I put forth the skills that I have um, to help them. Um, and because my dad was a coach, he's working weekends. You know, he's a college coach at Shippensburg University and they're gone at competitions every weekend. And so, uh, you know, and practice was held from 3.30 until 6. So he wouldn't get home until after 7.00. So if we were in school, we would never have any family time because we'd be going to bed when my dad got home um, and then we wouldn't see him on the weekends. And that really just didn't work for the lifestyle that my parents wanted to have. And so my mom decided to start homeschooling us and it was a hard transition. I did not enjoy that first year, um, but I was able to adjust and, uh, you know, my dad was home in the mornings and we were there. So he got to be a lot more involved. And then once I started running, um, it was actually really cool because I would go to practice with my dad. So I got to be really involved um, with him. Um, and my dad was training at a pretty high level at that point where he had just switched over to being a master's runner. And he was still running, um, you know, mid 14s for 5K. Um, and he even set a couple master's records and whatnot at that time. And so I would get to go to races with him. And I remember um, being at the Philadelphia half marathon 
with him when I was in eighth grade and I was planning to run the 5k and he was going to run the half marathon and he was like in contention to maybe be able to win it. Um, and I got to experience what it was like being an elite athlete because they put us up in a hotel. We got to go to this fancy dinner. I got to have dinner with Olympians, Marla Runyon, Jen Ryan, um, people who I still look up to to this day. And having those experiences was so incredible and probably something I wouldn't have had if I hadn't been homeschooled and had the opportunity to travel with my dad. I know a lot of high school students and even middle school students who are athletes, they constantly are running around, never have any time at home. You know, depending on how the school is set up, they may end up eating their lunch at 10.30 or 10.45 in the morning, and then they've got practice at 2.30 or 3, and they haven't eaten. Do you think, looking back long-term, that being able to be homeschooled helped with your development as an athlete and helped with your training program because you had a little bit more control over your time? I think that we're both pros and cons. So I would say pro, yes. I could sleep in the day before you know, a big race or the morning of, you know, a dual meet or whatever, I could sleep in if I needed to until nine or 10. And I had that flexibility. Um, I had the ability to eat whatever I wanted to eat when I wanted to eat, um, to take care of myself a little bit better. Um, I will say I started doing my best when I was able to compete for the local high school. So Pennsylvania had laws where homeschoolers were not allowed to participate um, in extracurricular activities or it was per school district. They could decide. And then that changed um, going into my junior year where everyone, every school district had to allow homeschoolers to participate. So I was allowed to compete for Simsburg High School my junior year. And I loved the team dynamic and I thrived so well. Um, and I really enjoyed the, uh, the whole experience of getting to be on a cross country team surrounded by peers, you know, us all helping each other, working together. Um, I ended up uh, winning state, the state meet that first cross country season. Um, and it was just, Amazing, and then that was the first year that I ended up um, qualifying for a Footlocker and meeting that goal. So things really clicked my junior year, and I do think that it was because I had the support and encouragement um, from you know my teammates and from competing and being able to experience what it was like to be a high school athlete. For individuals who are listening and who are running geeks, they know what makes your dad really unusual as a U.S. runner is that in the late 80s and early 90s, the U.S. was not well known for their distance runners, and your dad actually won a medal at the World Championships in the marathon. How much of an incentive or, or how hard did you try, or I guess the, I'm putting this wrong, did your parents have to mm -hmm. say, no, you're too young to run a marathon up until a certain age? Or were you focused on the footlocker training because you'd seen that and you wanted to go and compete against your peers? Yeah. You know, actually in high school, I focused on the mile. 
and that was my event. So I never even really focused that much on the two mile um, in track. And then in cross country, we ran 5K. And so that was always my focus. Um, it seems like I was always a little bit better at the longer distances. But I mean, I ran the open 400. I have the, I had the 400 record at Shippensburg High School, um, which is sort of funny. I had the 400, um, 800, 1600, and 3200, and the cross country 5K. So I had all those records, um, which nowadays I'm like, I could not come close to running a fast 400. Um, but I think at that age, it was so essential. And I loved being a part of the four by four and getting to have that team race where we would score points, the last race of, you know, each meet. And that was so exciting. And I would get so nervous. I would be way more nervous for that race than any other race. Um, so I really like that I was able to focus on that speed because I think now it has helped me down the line. Um, and it wasn't even until... So I didn't even run a 10K in college. Um, I was strictly like focused on the 5K um, until I graduated college. And then my first year as a professional is when I ran my first 10K. So, um, and then it wasn't until 2015 that I ran my first half marathon and it went way better than I had expected. Um, and that's when I was like, Oh, I really want to do a marathon. But until that point, I really had no idea when I was going to move to the marathon because it had, it seemed so daunting. Did you think that, did you always know that at some point I think I'm going to do a marathon or were you one of those high school or even young college students who was running five K's and going, yeah, those marathoners are crazy. Oh no, I knew it was going to happen at some point, but I was actually expecting that, um, Boston 2018 would be my debut, which is this year, um, which is really funny how things change, but Boston is on my birthday this year. And so that was sort of always my like long-term thought was like, okay, I'll debut at Boston when it's on my birthday in 2018. But then that all changed in 2016 when I decided to jump the gun and debut early. You finished high school. You gave a list of the school records that you had at Shippensburg, which were all track records. Was there ever any doubt that you would go not go to Shippensburg and be coached by your dad? Did you look at other schools or did you kind of think, you know, I want to stay at home or I want to stay in the Pennsylvania area and keep running for another four years? I was talking about this on my run this morning, actually. So I did. I looked at other schools. I, I actually was extremely fortunate um, and not to sound like I'm tooting my own horn in this uh, situation, but um that year I was the top, I, I had won, um, track nationals, um, as my last high school race. So I was actually the top recruit for, uh, 2008 and I had a lot of offers. Um, and it was really exciting. I loved getting the offers. Um, but I knew I didn't want to go too far away from home. So I sort of crossed off all the West coast schools um, I ended up flying out to the University of Colorado and visiting here because I had grown up in Colorado with my dad doing altitude training here in Boulder. Um, and, you know, I've always loved Colorado. It felt like a second home, which is now why I live here. Um, but 
it, I, it didn't feel like a good fit for me. Um, I looked at the, at Baylor and that was a school that one of my friends went to. I was extremely interested in going. Um, I looked at Penn state because being from Pennsylvania, you know, that's a really big school, a school they're good at running. Um, and something that I, you know, figured I'd check out and see. Um, I looked at West Virginia, uh, University of Maryland, UVA, and really what it came down to is um, the transition from being homeschooled to going to college, I was a little bit nervous about. Um, and I had started taking classes as a junior in high school at Shippensburg University. So I actually had a semester of credits before I was even going to start my freshman year. So that really helped me um, make that transition. But I really wanted to be successful as an athlete. And I knew that there were going to be a lot of different stresses um, with starting school that I figured I'd try and eliminate as many stresses as possible. So since I was used to Shippensburg um, and I was used to my dad's coaching, that would be a pretty seamless transition. So I decided to stay at Shippensburg for a year and then decide if I wanted to stay or go somewhere else. And after my freshman year, uh, it became very clear. I was having a great time. Again, we had an amazing team dynamic and I really thrived in that environment. And I also found a major, which was communication and a minor of coaching, which I knew was something that I really wanted. And once I got involved in that program, I realized, no, I'm super happy here. And this is the place I want to be. And I never regret that decision. Um, I think being able to run at a D2 level, it was challenging, but it was never um, so strenuous that I got burned out or hated running. I loved running a little bit more each year. And my junior year of college is when I realized, you know what, I want this to be my profession and this is what I want um, to pursue for my life. So I think that being at Schippensburg and having that opportunity to really um, nurture my, my running along the way uh, really helped set me up for the career that I have today. I know one of the things when working with college athletes or when talking to college athletes is some of them have very, very realistic expectations. It sounds like you did and others have totally unrealistic expectations. What was it that may, or who told you, what made you realize that your junior year that, you know, I think even though I'm going to division two school, you know, maybe I'm not running against the top runners every week in the country. What was it that made you realize, you know, I might be able to continue doing this after high, uh, after college and make some money at it? Well, I was very fortunate that I had my dad as a role model who showed me that this was possible. I mean, so many kids do not even realize that being a professional athlete is an actual career. And I'll still to this day sometimes get, oh, so what do you do for work? Well, I'm a runner. Okay, so what do you do? Well, I run. <laughs> like, wait, you can do that? That's a thing? Like marathons? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and so I was very fortunate that I knew that this was an option that I had. And then second, um, I had one of those defining moments where I was um, finally able to go to a really big meet and 
<coughs> I flew out to Mount Sac to go race in California um, the spring of my junior year. And I was set to run the 5K, and I was one of the only collegiates in the field. And I ended up finishing seventh and running 1533. And it was one of those races where I felt so good. Everything clicked. I ran really smart, really smooth. And I ended up qualifying for um, the U.S. championship that spring. Um, and I beat some of my idols. I beat some of the pros that were being paid to do this as a job. And that was the moment where I was like, you know what? This is, um, this is something that I want to do. And it's something that's possible. And I remember the next day I got an email from Dina Castor saying, congratulations. And I almost died. <laughs> She's an idol of mine. And I was like, wow, she noticed what I did. And that really just like validated the effort that I had put into it. And so from that moment on, um, I knew that this was something that I wanted to work towards and um, it was something that was going to be possible for me. You see not so much in running, but you see it especially in basketball in college is once somebody gets really, really good, they don't finish their college career, they immediately go pro. What was it that after doing that at Mount Sac that you didn't say, gee, you know, I'm just going to skip my senior year and turn and turn pro immediately. Was it your parents saying, you know, get the degree? Was it you realizing, you know, I can still develop a little bit more? Yeah. So that thought actually never crossed my mind. I never had a moment where I was like, oh, I think I'm too good for college anymore. Um, I was still very dedicated to my team, very dedicated to my goals of, um, you know, helping the team win more uh, conference championships and going to nationals. I wanted to, you know, get X amount of national titles and all of that. So I, I was still super focused and dedicated. Um, and it wasn't until uh, nationals cross country my senior year, my dad sat me down after the race at the hotel and said, I think you need to go pro. And I looked at him. I had never had this thought in my life. And he was like, you're trying to prepare for the Olympic trials in 2012, this spring. And I had just, um, I had just, you know, it was a boring blowout race in nationals, um, where I think at 600 meters into the race, the, the girl who I was hoping would push me, um, looked over at me and said, go get it spent. And that was it. And I ran the rest of the race by myself. And it, I, I think that was a point where I was just like, man, like that really wasn't even fun. That's not how I wanted to win my <laughs> national title. Um, and I, you know, was prepping with, you know, a long-term focus of the Olympic trials in June. And my dad just felt like me doing the collegiate system, um, with an indoor season and an outdoor season was not going to set me up, um, the best for, you know, preparing for the Olympic trials. And so, um, I ended up talking to an agent at that point and deciding that I was going to turn pro. Um, and right before Christmas in, um, 2011, I signed 
that contract um, and turn professional. And then I actually um, did club cross country and got second there and then ended up um, qualifying for the BUPA um, cross country, which is like a Team USA event um, in Scotland. So I went over and that was my first race as a pro um, the first week of January in 2012. And I broke my foot in that race. And so I had turned pro literally two weeks earlier and I broke my foot. So it did not start off the way I had expected it to. Um, I rehabbed. I really hoped that I could come back and I was running, I was getting fit, but I wasn't ready to put spikes on um, once the Olympic trials hit. And so I ended up missing the Olympic trials in 2012. And um, I ended up finishing school, of course. Um, I just wasn't competing for Shippensburg at that point. And I would say I regret that. Um, I think had I done the collegiate system that spring, that I would have not done the club cross country race. I would have taken a break that month. Um, I would have healed up from cross country and then I would have been able to do track and, um, you know, it may not have set me up hundred percent for, uh, the Olympic trials, but I would have raced because I don't think I would have broken my foot at, a, <laughs> at this cross country race in Scotland. So, um, I do regret that a little bit, but, and I don't think that I necessarily had to turn pro, but, um, you know, look at that's hindsight. Right. And of course, had I not broken my foot and everything had gone smoothly that spring, who knows, maybe I would have been in contention, um, at the Olympic trials, you know, right out of college, which would have been amazing. Um, but it wasn't my year. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what it's like to be an elite runner, what that constitutes as a job, but you also have a second job. You have a coaching business. If you could just briefly describe in the final part of our first part of our interview, how did the coaching business come around? Yeah. So like I mentioned, I went to college knowing that I wanted to be a coach. Um, so I had a communication degree with the coaching minor and everything I did in my communication degree was directly related to coaching. So that was really neat. Um, and my senior year, that spring where I had the broken foot, I actually um, started a youth track team at, um, at Shippensburg. And we had a, a elementary school on campus. And I, you know, it was kindergarten to fifth grade. And I figured, you know, maybe I'll get like 20 kids or so. I had 65 kids sign up for my track program. Um, and I coached them and we would meet every Tuesday. And then at the end, we did this like whole little track meet and it was a blast. And I just absolutely loved it. And so I really knew that coaching is something that I was very passionate about and really wanted to do. And then fast forward in 2013, I had a little injury. And I decided, hey, now's the time because I'm bored. I need something to do. And so I went, saw a lawyer, and I got Get Running set up. Um, and I think I started with about six clients, and it's just grown ever since. Um, and, you know, that was 
I guess, September 2013. And now we're in January of 2018 and I have 75 clients. So it's been awesome. It's something I've really enjoyed and found more rewarding than I ever could have imagined. We've been talking with Neely Gracie. She is an elite runner and also an endurance coach, specifically with runners. What makes her interesting is not only is she an elite runner and a coach, but she is a second generation in both. We're going to come back in two weeks and talk to Neely a little bit more and find out more about the jobs, both what it entails to be an endurance runner at the elite level and the trials, tribulations, and pitfalls of being an endurance coach with uh, amateur and I would imagine probably a few professional athletes. So Neely, thank you for taking the time to talk to Moving to Live, and I look forward to talking to you in two weeks. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore MOV number two LIV. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving. Moving.